0: Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast number 51.
1: Hi, this is Amy, the Senior Group Fitness Instructor at the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast. Are you looking for a spark of inspiration to bring to your next class? Find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com.
0: I'm John McGowan, your host, and you can find us at IndoorCycleInstructor.com. Today I'm talking with fitness journalist Karen Asp is her name, and Karen recently wrote an article that appeared in the latest edition of ACE Certified News, that is the, I think it's a bi-monthly magazine that goes out to ACE Certified Group Fitness Professionals, the one that we get at our house was actually addressed to my wife, Amy, who is the senior group fitness instructor at our house. Karen had written an article that was actually very prominently featured on the right on the front page, creating safe, effective indoor cycling classes. And I saw this, started reading it, and I thought, oh my gosh, I need to hug her because I, I feel that we've done a great job to those that are interested as indoor cycling instructors. But the idea of... eliminating a lot of the nonsense in indoor cycling is something that needs to move into the general group fitness area as well. So I asked Karen to come on, and I thought I'd give you just a little background on her before I bring her onto the podcast. Karen is a health and fitness writer. She's also an ACE certified professional. She's an indoor cycling instructor, and she's written for just about every fitness-related magazine you've heard of, including Self, Shape, Women's Health prevention, men's fitness, women's day, and she's also a contributing writer for AOL and Oxygen. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Karen Asp, welcome to the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast.
1: Great, John. Thanks for having me today.
0: What prompted you to write this article?
1: ACE actually had been getting some letters, and a lot of letters actually, from instructors who were saying, you know what, we really want to see something about the basics. We want to brush up on the basics again. We're seeing a lot of crazy, funky things happening in indoor cycling classes. And can you guys please address some of these things and tell us, you know, are these things safe? Are they effective? What should we be doing in our classes? And so it, it actually was prompted by fitness professionals who wrote into ACE and said, said all of those things. Um, I work very closely with ACE and they came to me and said, you know what, Let's let's put this article together and let's really examine, you know, how do you create a safe and effective cycling class? And, you know, what are some of the do's and the don'ts For keeping, you know, students not only safe, but also giving them a a workout that, you know, they're going to enjoy and that they're going to want to repeat and come back to your class and all that good stuff that we always talk about
0: as instructors. So that's really how it got started. So in order to write the article, what transpired? What, What did you do?
1: Basically, John, I went to the, um, you know, just like any journalist would do when you get an assignment, you go to the sources and you line up the sources. I should say, too, that this uh, had personal interest to me as well because as a cycling instructor, um, you know, and also a participant of cycling classes, I've seen so many crazy things going on as well. I'd be the instructor sitting in the back row thinking, oh, my gosh, are you absolutely kidding me that this instructor is doing this? And, of course, you know, it's, it's not my... Uh, at that time to step in so this was also a good way for me to kind of you know get my message across too but basically it was just involved um you know going to the sources um we pulled in uh you know basically two of the the biggest uh cycling programs which would be one is schwinn cycling the other one being um spinning which of course um a lot of people are familiar with both but anyway we chatted with them just to find out what are some of these um maybe contraindicated things and and then how do you as an instructor create a class that is safe and effective so that's kind of what happened
0: what is your definition of contraindicated
1: you know john uh, that's a good (laughs) i hate that word i know i know (laughs) i just like what And we slide that around so often. I mean, in in journalism, you know, in the fitness magazines that we write for, I think we we assume that the the population has the public has just kind of understood what contraindicated is but basically i think when we say contraindicated we mean that moves that generally the average person probably should not be doing that doesn't mean that everybody shouldn't be doing it but you know again if we're we're talking to your your general public here what are some of the things that they really shouldn't be doing on a bike in this case um you know, and, and are there some things that might set them up for some potential injury or damage to their body? And, of course, that's not our goal as, as fitness instructors. We don't want to injure our students. We want to, of course, make sure that they can remain injury-free and, and continue their exercise program. So I, I would say that's probably what we were looking at.
0: Okay. Well, and, and I guess the point of my comment was, is the it, it's a strange word. It's it's almost as if we should oh. have a different word to describe what it is we're talking about, other uh, than it's just yeah. wrong. It's,
1: All right. it's a crazy word, yes. <laughs> okay.
0: So your article describes five common mistakes. And uh, why don't you uh, just kind of start with number one, and we'll just kind of work our way through them.
1: Sure. Um, I think the biggest one um, that most people, will hopefully that a lot of instructors would probably find fault with are these cadences that really and I call it out-of-control cadences but these are cadences get that get to such a high um, you know RPM and and if you've been in any cycling class as a student um, if the instructors not doing it you can see participants doing it all the time participants students think that you know the faster you go the harder they're working and the faster they go the cooler they look so, you know, they're spinning way out of control. And if you look at them from the back, you know, their their rear is just bumping up and down. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it looks like that bike is about to, like, go fly off into, like, Never Neverland because they're just pumping it so hard. And so um, – you know, I see that, yeah, gosh, I'm, I've taken classes. I, I was even in a class in Sweden. I mean, when I travel, I go to cycling classes just so I can see what everybody's doing. And I've seen this everywhere. I mean, this is not, and it's not just the instructors, like I said. It's the participants who are like, great, I want to, you know, rev up my cadence as fast as possible. And, of course, um, if they're not clipped in, then, you know, that they risk that foot falling out and, and clipping the, the back of the, the leg. And also the other thing, too, is we know that if you are actually on a bike outside, And again, cycling is organic, so it is what it is. Cycling should be cycling, whether you're, you know, you can't do everything on a bike inside that you can do outside, but it's the same principle. So if you were to take that. A high cadence and go outside with it on a bike, you would literally fall over on your bike. Your bike would go nowhere because you just can't. You 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 just wouldn't have enough to move the bike, and of course your heart rate would plummet. And you know I think that if most people would be wearing heart rate monitors and they look at when they're spinning so fast, so they would see that they're really not getting the workout they think. So out of control cadences was the first one. Um, another one that. Um, there's an instructor at one of the clubs that I am at who is uh, famous for doing this, but it's one-legged cycling. And I know that there are cycling uh, fanatics out there who will say, well, gosh, but real cyclists train uh, with one-legged cycling. However, it's a very different situation. A lot of the professional cyclists are also, they, you know, they have um, uh, measures that they can see, you know, which leg is stronger. Uh, so, you know, you're actually measuring the output, the force output on that leg. So, you know, one-legged, one-legged cycling, you know, that's another, I guess, huge thing. It, what are we doing with that? What's the point of it? Um, you know, I had one of the, um, and I'm not sure if this made it into the article, but one of the, uh, the, the experts that i chatted with said you know what cycling again cycling is cycling and why are we making a two-legged sport a one-legged sport if you were training oh
0: yeah that was in the article okay yep. if you
1: were training a runner why would you train let's just say let's put it into running if you're training <laughs> if you're training a runner would you train that runner to run one-legged no I exactly. mean, there's no point in it so
0: that was another one um another one was push-up well but let me stop you just for a sec though but but there is value in emphasizing one side or the other as far as pedal stroke, especially I, and I coach it in my classes as far as, it's a, as a brief recovery as a, you know, as a time trialist, endurance athlete, you know, a triathlon, you know, there's, it's very common to, You know, to emphasize one leg resting the other one briefly. And,
1: you know, Jen, I don't think that there's that. I think what we were trying to say in the article is really it becomes dangerous and, and truly dangerous.
0: When one foot is unclipped.
1: Correct. When you actually stop and when you, you know, when you tell that student, let's, you know, take that foot out of whether they're in a pedal cage or, you know, they're clipped in, take it out, physically take it out and place it on like the middle bar and then you so you're literally doing one-legged cycling so not to say that you couldn't emphasize one-legged cycling but keep both feet in you know either in the in the cage or you know clipped in um Mm -hmm. so that again you've got both legs going and true you know you can emphasize the right leg over the left leg as a recovery, or you know even just as an awareness, but to actually physically take that leg out don't do it, especially if again if you're in a dim lit studio, which so many cycling classes are, you know just to create the mood and there's nothing wrong with that, but just to create that mood and, and the ambiance if you're in one of those dimly lit studios and you ask that participant to take the foot out, that participant probably doesn't have a good view uh, you know of what's really going on down there and and there's really potentially dangerous problems that could happen.
0: Agreed. So, I agree. So yeah, so
1: that was another one. Uh, another one that we had was push-ups on the handlebars. And, um, you know, I saw this when we first started doing doing cycling, and this was way back in the mid-90s, John. Um, you know, instructors were starting to do, you know, the push-ups on the handlebars. And, you know, the whole thing is, is maybe it's built in as the instructors are just looking for, a, you know, something else to occupy time, which... It is understandable. it is tough to get up in front of an in a cycling class, and especially if you come from an aerobic fitness background, a group fitness background where you're used to being kind of the entertainer the whole time and now mm-hmm. you, you know you've got fifteen, thirty, ten it doesn't matter how many pairs of eyes you've got on you, you've got eyes on you, and so you know push ups on the handlebars might have originated out of that, but again, it's very ineffective. it puts your body in a different position than than it should be. And it also, you know, again, what is your goal? If your goal is to, you know, push-ups, we generally think of as, let's say, increasing uh, chest uh, strength or, you know, working abdominal core strength as well. And you're not, you're going to not do any of those things on the bike. You're probably just going to put the students in a crazy position anyway. So. Um, Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was another one that we looked at. Um, the other one that we looked at was uh, jumps, um, mm-hmm. and this is an area that you know a lot of people have have kind of voiced some concern over, saying, "Well, gosh, but you can do safe, effective jumps in class," and there there are programs that say you know jumping is part of our curriculum, but. I think that for the most part, what we're saying is that these these fast jumps. Um, you know, I think it was Jules Arney who said, "Jumping really." You know, when when you are getting out of the saddle, um, you know, from a seated position to a standing position, no matter what you're trying to do with that student. One of, you know, her comment was one of the, uh, you know, weakest points is is right there with the knees. And so you really want to, I, I think that, you know, we have to look at who's in our group cycling classes. And we, for the most part, uh, unless you know that you are teaching a very elite level of individuals um, and, you know, who have the strength, who have not only the core strength, but also the, the lower body strength, um, I, I think that jumps can be very uh, ineffective, and I've seen them in classes, you know, especially when we talk about jumps that are up to, down to, you know, the instructors just go into the beat of the music and it's up to, down to, up to, down to, up to, down to. I don't know what the purpose of that is. When I was a cyclist and, and still am a cyclist outdoors, we don't sit in the saddle like that. And I know, again, it's outdoor cycling versus indoor cycling, but still there is some. Well, important.
0: wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to take issue to that because I was taught to practice my st- jump out of the saddle f- uh, for sprinting to do exactly that
1: well but i think the thing is john we do get and i should rephrase that we do get out of the saddle when we're outside in the bike but we're not up to down to we're not up to down in, in other words we're staying up for a little bit longer period of time before we go back down i mean it, it, it's not
0: okay Okay. all right Okay. and
1: i think i think the other thing too is that um The other part of the equation is that if you look around at the students in your class, and and really that's another one of my main points is that if you are a a cycling instructor, no matter what kind of instructor you are, you should be taking classes in in the activity that you're doing. So if you're a step instructor, go take other instructors' step classes. If you're a cycling instructor, and on down the line. But if you were to watch students in a class, sit in the back row and just You know, get your workout in, but watch everybody. You would see that most people don't know how to jump correctly. They don't know how to get out of the saddle. They don't put enough resistance on that bike to get out of the saddle. And so, what happens is, as they stand up, there's not enough resistance. You can see. I mean, you can see that that pedal stroke goes from possibly a smooth pedal stroke to a very jerky. I mean, you can. Oh, agreed. You can see it at the bottom. So I think that um, you know the the whole notion of jumping has to be defined if we're going to keep it in cycling classes um and and you know go from there and again i think that if you're going to do jumping it needs to be with a a longer not just a, a quick 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 it needs to be longer up longer down and you need to coach your students and i mean get off that bike if you have to and you should get off your bike check you know, stand behind the students, stand to the side of them, see that they're not getting that jerky motion at the bottom of the pedals. So jumps were another one. Um,
0: Karen, uh, let me ask just a, a, a personal question. When you teach, how much time do you spend off the bike?
1: John, I do two things um, and have done two things. I will, first of all, that cycling workout, and I also have teach other classes too. So no matter what class it is, my whole philosophy is that class is not my workout. It is not my workout. I am there as the coach. I am there as the instructor. So it is, it is not you know if i'm trying to log 45 minutes on my bike let's just say then i'd better plan to get in another time to do that 45 minutes because i'm going to be off that bike frequently and i might what i what i have done in the past john is i'll start sometimes on the bike it just depends on the class it depends on who's in the class if i have a lot of new students in the class i'm probably going to be off my bike a little bit more than i'm on the bike it also depends on where they're sitting in the class if a lot of the students have chosen to sit in the back of the class and I can't see them as well. In other words, I can see their faces, but I can't see like their body movement. I might be more tempted to get off the bike if I were than if they were sitting, you know, in my front row and, you know, I can, you know, kind of see what their motions look like and things like that. So it really just depends, but I do spend time on and off, um, off the bike. Um, so that being said, um, I guess our, and then the fifth thing, John, just to continue our conversation, we sure. talked too about isolations in the article. And this is where, you know, I've had classes do this. It's horribly uncomfortable. And this is perhaps why instructors do it because they think, you know, they're getting that burn. But we're talking isolation, so we're talking about maybe being in a standing position and you're literally freezing the upper body. So the instructors will say one of many things like, don't move the upper body or I don't want to see any movement from the hips up or something like that. And so you're literally frozen from the upper body and you're just letting your legs do... The work, but what we know, and if you've done it, and I I don't do it in the classes that I'm in, um, you know, when the instructor says it, but if you do it, I mean, it does. You do feel a tremendous amount of stress on the quads, the knees, things like that. Now, is it good stress? No, it's probably very unnecessary stress. So, you know, those are those are things that we looked at as well. So, isolations are not my favorite. And again, when you're out on a bike, on and I know that there, like I've said before, there are differences between indoor cycling and outdoor cycling. However, again, my whole thing is cycling is organic. It came from the outdoor. If you're outdoors, you know, you're, there are, I, I can't think of a situation where I'd want to be up, you know, standing something like that and freezing my upper body. I, I don't know why unless I'm going through like a huge bush of brambles or something. You know, I've got
0: three <laughs> right.
1: hangings overhead and, the you know, I've got a really thin, you know, lane maybe on, a, I don't know, I'd be on a mountain bike, I guess. But I'm, I'm just saying, I, I just can't see a point when you would do that. So those are the five things that we looked at. And again, we were just trying to bring um, some awareness and, you know, bring some, uh, I guess, go, again, going back to the basics, what, what should we be doing in indoor cycling classes?
0: Well, and I applaud you for it because, yes, and that has been my goal going uh, from the beginning of this is to try to eliminate as much of the nonsense, you know, from indoor cycling classes as possible. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's one thing for me to say it. And, you know, and I have on any given week probably 2,000, 2,500 listeners, and yet the people that read this article uh, are a group that typically would not find my podcast, okay you know, and I described them like my wife, where indoor cycling is just one of many different formats that they teach right now I did notice she took a little bit of a shot at the uh, biggest loser and
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh the, how they talked about taking the saddle off, yeah uh, their bikes, which I think is about as silly as one can get
1: well yeah and it's not just silly it's just crazy i mean it's also dangerous i mean we you know it it just stuff like that doesn't need to be done it it doesn't um again we're talking about we know that we have an obesity crisis going on in this country we know that we have a very sedentary population and we know that cycling out of all of the group activities group fitness activities that we have cycling is an activity That really anybody should be able to do. I mean, we all grew up, most of us grew up, you know, riding a bike at some point or another. We didn't all grow up doing step training or, you know, slide or whatever we've done in the past, you know, BOSU, all those things they're very, you know, there's a learning curve. Cycling is is really, we should, be, we should be able to grab so many more people into our cycling classes. And I think what we're doing is by doing all of these crazy things, I think that we're starting to turn away some of these people who are hearing, gosh, these indoor cycling classes are just so hard. You know, I can't do it.
0: Well, let me chase that from the opposite direction then. And there's a lot of those Classes that have been going on like that for years. How do we reintroduce a more safe and effective indoor cycling class uh, to people that may have been turned off in the past.
1: You know John that's a good question and I wish I had a I wish I had the solution to it because again I think that cycling is such a beautiful workout you know again for people who are struggling especially uh, you know with perhaps some knee problems or back problems it is a low or non-impact sport so it is something that would be great for for people who are you know having some issues but how we bring it back down to a level I'm not sure. I think that all of us need to take a responsibility and not be the instructor who is going to say, I want to make my students puke after class. And I have heard instructors who are very proud that they have gotten their class to the point where they feel like getting sick. It, you know, again, we talked about, you know, in, in the 80s, there was that whole no pain, no gain philosophy, which we know doesn't work. We're not trying. Thank
0: you, Jane. Fonda. <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly. But, you know, I think that we're it's almost like cycling has gotten back to that where we're saying, gosh, the more pain you feel, The better my class, and I think that it's it really is up to each instructor individually to take responsibility and to say, you know what, I can't change the whole scheme of indoor cycling, you know. We, but but from a very minuscule level, just from affecting my class, uh, you know. if, If let's say you're teaching a class you know, again, there are egos involved in in teaching, but you've got to take that out and say, you know what, I want to be the class where everyone feels comfortable. And and that's not to say that you can't challenge. I'm not saying don't challenge your students. I'm saying invite, become a more inviting atmosphere so that more students will want to say, you know, word of mouth might get around and say, hey, you know, that Karen over there, she teaches a really, a really nice class. Everyone feels comfortable. Um, You know, everybody can do it. So John... I wish I had an answer for that, but I think it, it, it's, you know, awareness, it's, um, I, I don't know, I think it's, you know, the more people talk about it, the more instructors, you know, get together and, and chat about how we can be more responsible as indoor cycling instructors. I think that's a start, but how we change the whole, the consumer image of cycling, which is, it's a pretty darn hard workout, and you're not going to feel so great afterwards. That's going to take a little bit of time to, uh, to get over.
0: Well and I think you know having an an official organization like ACE really st- Put this front and center. I think is very helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's definitely a start. Again, we've we've got to we've got to pull back the layers and say, you know, what we created cycling, or, or not we, but you know, cycling was created so that it would appeal to many many people, and and that was really the hope of cycling. I know that Jen Miller, when she created step training, had that same hope for step training. And you know, step obviously has a little bit more of a learning curve. But what did we do? We made it so fancy schmancy. You know, do five million turns that people were just like, whoa. I can't do this anymore. I'm not that, you know. So, I mean, we we kind of factored out all of those people who were trying to get into step. And I think, again, the same thing is happening with cycling. And we need to pull it back, pull back the layers and just get back down to the basics. And, you know, challenge your students, but do it in a way that will be very inviting to others who aren't at an elite fitness level, let's just say. And most of our population, I think if you take a look, most of your students are not at that elite level. So...
0: You know, and as you bring up Jen Miller, I have to make a plug for the companion podcast uh, to the indoor cycle instructor podcast. And that is my wife's group fitness talk radio. And we're going to be posting an interview with Jen Miller and a discussion of 20 years of step this weekend at groupfitnessradio.com. If you're interested, you can chase after to that. Karen, have we forgotten anything?
1: I guess my whole message to to instructors would be again be responsible about what you're teaching in class look at what cycling is and try not to stray too far from from what, what really is happening. I would also tell instructors, like I said earlier, not only go to conferences, which is a great, great way to get ideas about how to create classes, but also go to your colleagues' classes. Um, and if it's not, if you don't feel comfortable doing that at your health club, then go to another health club. When you're visiting out of town, go to another cycling class and just be a student again and get an idea for what you like, what you don't like. You know, do you like it when the instructor is like babbling nonstop about how she, you know, was, I don't know, had car problems today and blah, 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 this and blah, 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 that. I mean, absolutely not. So be a student again. Make sure that each of your classes has a goal. It's just like, you know, when you would be training, let's say, for any kind of fitness event, no matter what it is, whether you're, you know, trying to run a 10K, whether you're trying to walk a half marathon, Or if you're just trying to lose weight or if you're trying to boost your VO2 max, whatever it is you're trying to do, kind of have that philosophy. Have a goal for each of your classes. Don't just come into class with kind of a – just no idea of what you're going to do. Gosh, you know, I I haven't listened to this CD yet, so I'm just going to pop it in and create a class as I go. Certainly there's a place and time for that, but for the most part, overall, have a goal for what your students are doing. Let them know what that goal is. You know, at the beginning of the class, I like to know, well, what am I going to be doing today? Am I going to be, you know, doing some interval work? Am I going to be doing hills? I would map out the class for your students so that they know what to expect. They can adapt the workout as they see fit. And I would also say another thing, another huge thing, John, is, Get on a bike and go outside. I don't want you to be like, you don't have to be a Lance Armstrong, but just go. Hooray. Yes,
0: you're exactly right. I'm
1: not even saying, you know, it doesn't even have to be a fancy bike. I mean, just go get on a bike. Just go. If you have not been on a real bike, not that indoor cycling doesn't have real bikes, but I mean, a real bike that actually moves outside. Get on a real bike.
0: That you have to balance. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. Just go. Just just
0: stop and go yeah. And, just write
1: yeah. it, just just feel it. Just feel what the emotion is like and then bring that into your class. So those would kind of be my my other points to make.
0: Karen, where would they find you to get more information about you? Uh,
1: John, they can go to my website, which is uh, karenasp.com, uh, K-A-R-E-N-A-S-P as in pineapple.com. Um, and I always welcome comments. They can also, um, yeah, they can find me all over the magazines, the web, all that good stuff. But, but coming directly to my website will get them directly to me.
0: Well, Karen, thank you for joining us today on the Indoor Cycle Instructor Podcast.
1: John, thanks so much for having me and uh, make the cycling classes great so everybody wants to uh, do them.
0: And thanks for listening. All the information we talked about today will be available in the show notes for this episode, podcast number 51. And until next time, thanks for listening.